to the board game community show. I'm your host, Riley Starr. Join me as I get to know folks in this community. They could be designers or streamers, podcasters, YouTubers, publishers, whatever. Really anything with a nerd at the end of its title is welcome here on the board game community show. Show, show. Welcome back to the board game community show. Today I am joined by... Uh, you do a lot of different things. We'll go over what you all do. Uh, but James Hudson from Druid City Games, how you doing? Hey, y'all. Uh, I'm doing pretty good, all things considered. Yeah, <laughs> all things considered. We were talking about that before. Uh, so, are you? You're with Druid City Games. Are you also with Skybound? Are you? No, no, no. So I left Skybound uh, in March, and I'm back okay. on my own, just doing Druid City Games. Yep. Okay, perfect. I was I thought you were with them, and then I, I, I thought there was also something different. So yeah, yeah, I was there for uh, um, right at four years. So uh, um, you know, I did Druid City Games before. Then I joined up with them. We co-published a couple games together, and they were like, "Well, if we're gonna just keep doing this, I might as well just like move out there and like let's just do this." So yeah. we did that for about four years, and you know, um, we amicably split up because you know the. We both had different goals and visions and of things that we wanted to go after. And so, um, you know, now I'm going to stay in the hobby space. They're still making games in the party game space. I think right now they've got a game on Kickstarter with, um, oh gosh, I'm going to get in trouble for not remembering the name of this one. But the name of the game is Booty Call. Um, oh, but it's like ghosts. Pirates. So it's Boo. Oh. Boo. Uh, uh, Ty, uh, it's a party game. There's a couple of uh, there's there's several uh, really fun TikToks that are out there about it. So uh, you know, it's it's a hilarious party game. So check it out if you're into party games. Nice, that sounds interesting. I love that. I thought for sure it was going to be a pirate game because right that that also checked. It could out. work. That could have worked too, right? Yeah, that's the expansion, second edition. <laughs> uh, <laughs> So what have you been doing on your own lately? So obviously Tidal Blades 2 launched and was successful back in April. So yeah. currently putting a lot of time in finishing up the game and getting the campaign polished up and play tested. So there, there's that. Then there's Bloodstone, which is a game that we had launched and we canceled. Um, and I just need to do more work on it. We, we try to launch it at the, at the height of all the price hikes. Um, in, in board gaming. And then there was a lot of mutiny happening in the campaign with how expensive the game was. And, you know, I was like, cool, I think we can, I think we can pause this, see if things calm down, take all this feedback, come back with a, with a different implementation of the game. Like the core game mechanics aren't changing, but maybe the way we package it is going to look different. And I mean, things have settled down. So prices should be uh, somewhat better, which will be great. And then uh, we've, we're launching a game right now. Uh, our first straight to retail game for Tidal Blades called Tidal Blades Banner Festival. That's one that will go on pre-order very, very soon and be delivering uh, in the fall. With it going straight to retail, is it is it a different kind of implementation of what you've already done with Tidal Blades? It's really hard to describe. And this is something that I try to make a point of um, the games that I make. So because I don't like just getting games that are like, oh, it's it's a deck building game. Right. I like finding weird stuff like Sorcerer City where Scott Caputo is like, hey, it's deck building, but you use tiles instead of cards. And it's like Carcassonne, but also there's monsters. So it's kind of like Galaxy Trucker. So if Carcassonne, Dominion and Galaxy Trucker had a baby, it'd be Sorcerer City. Um, I love I love trying to find game designs that aren't just slight variations of other games. Right. Usually in the design process, when I'm chatting with my design teams, I call it the chimichanga effect. You know, it's like, don't it, a, a chimichanga is just a burrito deep fried. Like the core, it's core is the, is already exists, but you've only uh -huh. done one thing to slightly alter it. Um, and so in this case, title blades banner festival is um, 
I say the word trick taking because it typically gets people's mind in the right place, but it's not really trick taking. But the framework for trick taking is there. And so if you're familiar with trick taking, it'll get you going in the right direction. But what's really cool about the game, this is the TDLR version, okay? Or TLDR. I never forget that. I can never get those letters in the right order. So typically when you have a trick taking game, everybody plays a card and there's something that pulls the trick, right? But in this case, everybody is going to get something. There's a high, there's a low, and then there's everybody that's in between. Because that happens in every trick, right? Right. Well, there's a board state because this is a board game. There is board stuff that's happening. So depending on which one of those three categories your card falls in, you get something specific. So when you're trying to pick your card for that, for that bout, you're like, I want to be the lowest this time because the lowest action is going to give me the most benefit for where I'm at. So you play a card hoping to be low. And then maybe rather you go, you play a card below me, which then bumps me to the middle. And I'm like, dang it. I really needed to be low that time. Why did you, you, I can't believe you scooped me. I thought I I would have had the lowest card here. And so it really plays into your strategy of which of those three categories you're trying to fall into. Um, So uh, I heard someone call it sophisticated trick taking. I don't know. Um, (laughs) But it's more, I mean, it is simultaneous action selection. There is some area area majority. It's not area control. It's just area majority out on the board. Uh, And then there's just some fun, like it's a, it's a Euro, right? Like, so you got three, four paths to victory. And so you're trying to figure out which of the two you can't major in everything. So you're like, I'm going to major in this and minor in these two things, you know, and try to see what my score can be. That sounds really, really fascinating. I love that. I love when things mix up the the format, right? Yeah. And, you know, and, and even though it's a retail game, I, I try to give it the the Druid City Games deluxe vibe and feel. So it's got a new squishy fruit. It's got wooden silk screen components, linen finish cards. You know, it, when you open it, you're going to be like, this doesn't feel like a retail game. And it's only $40 MSRP. So like, I think we, you know, I used every penny of the budget that I possibly could. I love also how transparent you are with certain things. I know you got a little bit of flack about, uh, you know, with Wonderland's War, the you had a bunch of deluxe editions, uh, Kickstarter mm-hmm. editions, and you went and you sold them. Um, to, it was to kind of make up for like the shipping costs and everything that had changed over time. Yeah, well, we had a, we did a promo like we like obviously the shipping went through the roof. Um, right. And we had launched Wonderland's War before, uh, you know, COVID was just a rumor at the time that it was in February of like 2020 when we launched that one or 2019, whatever year it was. It, it's all it's all a blur at this point. Yeah. And, you know, so like in our budget at that time, ocean freight containers were like five, six thousand dollars. And so that was kind of what we budgeted. And so then when it came time to actually ship, they were more like 28 to 32. That was kind of their average, depending on which ones were going where. Obviously, that's like five, six times what we had budgeted. So that's a big shortfall, especially for a game like Wonderland's War that's really big and needed, you know, double digit containers to ship it everywhere it needed to go. Right. So you start, you know, doing your math and carry the one. Oh, that's a lot of money. <laughs> and, and that's. So also that's why I get very um, I get very frustrated with people who are like, ah, shipping's not as expensive uh, as people claim that it is. I'm like, well, it may not be now. Like the the freight ocean containers have come down, but to you know a year and a half ago they were at their peak and it was it was pretty ugly. So we had at the time we didn't um, you know we we were, we were like, what do we do? You know this this isn't normally built into a PNL. We can't, uh, that's a profit and loss sheet. If uh, oh, when I, you start using jargon, just let me know. <laughs> yeah. um, and you're like, wow, this is really going to submarine the project's, you know, profit loss scenario. And uh, so then we put together some promo cards and we we're like, cool, we won't ask any, because nobody, nobody wants to be told, hey, things are more expensive now. We need you all to come back and give us 25 more dollars to ship this. I mean, it, we would have had, it would have been torches and pitchforks, right? Like, oh, for sure. There would have been a small subsection, but like, we understand, but the majority would have been like, that's the risk you take. That's the risk you take. <laughs> not a lot of empathy in the world these days. And so uh, we decided to do promo cards and charge $15 for those to try to make up. It helped a little, but we didn't sell enough of those to like make up the entire shortfall. Right. And we've always in the past had leftover inventory, right? We've had inventory leftover 
after we're done shipping, but we've never really done anything with it because we were like, it's Kickstarter exclusive stuff on the deluxe. So it doesn't feel right to sell it. So what we did is we're like, cool, anything that we have left over, we will sell it. It'll just be marked up so that our Kickstarter backers still got the best deal. But we have these units and we're paying for them to sit in the warehouse. So we might as well sell them and try to help make up some of that loss, but also still be fair to our original Kickstarter backers so that they got the best deal. I, th- I think that was a really good compromise. I, d- I, didn't, I didn't actually hear any negativity about, about that on the backside. Oh, good. Yeah. Yeah, I, I appreciated that because I got to get in on it. <laughs> you know, nice. I had I had actually gone and bought the base edition, you know, the regular old retail mm-hmm. and had played it once. And I was like, man, I really wish I got this Kickstarter. Like I had talked to Ian. He was like, well, you can still late pledge. And I for whatever reason, I didn't. And uh, and so I was glad that I had that opportunity. Now I have two copies. So going to. And the retail copy is still really nice, right? Like it it's is. still like. It's still a really great game. I, I mean, I get that, you know, geek bits from BGG have really ruined us when it comes to like the idea of what we want in a bag because it's so tactile when we're feeling uh, the stuff. But I've seen a lot of people just do the coin capsules um, for the, and, and I think, I think it works really, really well. And, and I, I, I've seen both stories, uh, both sides of the story when it comes to the minis. Manny's art is gorgeous. So I think yeah. the standees really, you, you know, in your case, if you've got both, I could see you, unless you've painted your minis, if you haven't, I could see you using the standees instead of the minis because Manny's art is just so gorgeous. Um, yeah. So, and that's honestly my plan at this point is I'm just going to use those stand, the standees until I paint my minis. Cause it really is really pretty. And those, you know, the minis are really cool looking, but that art, right? That art is amazing. <laughs> Manny, Manny is, I mean, obviously like look at all the Marvel dice thrown, all yeah. the, uh, the new, their new Santa versus Krampus looks awesome. So yeah, Manny's, Manny's amazing. It, the whole, the whole story behind that, when I, when talking to Manny, uh, I was like, dude, your art would be perfect in an Alice in Wonderland setting. Like it's just, it's just made for it. So we have to figure out a game where you do the art. Uh, we actually, I mean, the, the road to getting in, if you've already talked to Ian, he probably shared that story. It was a long road to get Wonderland's War figured out. It it, it did not come together very nicely <laughs> or very easily, I should say. Uh, it was a struggle. And then finally, when it finally clicked, we were like, there it is, finally. But it took like it took like a solid two, two and a half years of like working on it to get it there. Oh, wow. That is wild. It's been long enough that I talked to Ian that I don't exactly remember what we talked about. So yeah, it's just you know, again the TLDR, TDLR. I'll get it right someday. Too long, don't remember, didn't read. Oh, there yeah, it is. That's it. Yeah, TLDR is is you know we brought four designers together, and I thought having a super group would just automatically make this like incredible game, and it, it just. For whatever reason, we just couldn't get on the same page. Ideas just weren't meshing. It, it just, they weren't, it, it didn't flow. Like there was a game there, but it just wasn't that great. Right. And so we kept yeah. trying to change it, kept trying to change it. And then eventually it was just like, some people were like, listen, I, I need to go. Like I got other projects. I'm tired of trying. And, and I mean, we even brought, we flew out uh, Ian. This is when I was at Skybound, Ian and the Eisners and then myself. And then the, the design team that I had at Skybound with Ben Kepner and Dan Stong and Aries. And we all spent, like, it was like for three days, we're just going to lock ourselves in a room and we're going to figure this out. And like the first day and a half, we still weren't getting anywhere. And I mean, people were frustrated. Like we went to dinner and you could tell like the room was like heads down. And then I was like, all right, we go back to, we go back to the, the little Airbnb that we'd rented for everybody. And we we're hanging out. And I'm like, listen, I've got a crazy idea. And by this time, they're all used to me, like rolling my eyes, because James always comes in with the crazy ideas. But I was like, what if we converted all of the resources uh, into chips and we made it a bag building fighting game? And then, like, I mean, again, because everybody was just so down, they were just like, whatever, <laughs> maybe, I don't know. And the more I wouldn't let it go. I just kept pushing, kept talking, kept pushing, kept talking. And eventually like Ben Eisner, I think was one of the first people to go, well, you know, that might work, but then how do we get the resources? And I was like, 
what if we just put them in cards and we were just drafting them? And it, I just came up with the idea of like a draft. I think somebody, I think Ian and the team came up with the whole Rondale, which in, ended up being great. But I was like, the easiest thing I think would be just draft them, draft cards, and then put stuff in bags and then fight. It could be cool. And so the next day we converted everything to the system and we tried it. And we were like, this is pretty good. It's got, a, it was a long way from being good at that point, but it was like, everybody's head was nodding and there was a little bit of hope in the room. So that's yeah. the Wonderland War story. That's awesome. Yeah. That turning point. I feel like that when I go to design meetings, sometimes you see that every once in a while at one of our design meetings here, uh, someone will get a piece of feedback where it's like, well, if I do that, okay. And then it like starts chain reacting. And then the next month they bring the game and it's like a completely different game and it's working better. Well, and the thing is like, I mean, I'd probably had 20 of those, 20 different suggestions before that. So it's not like, oh, James, fine. Like, and you never know which one's going to be the one that's like, that works, right? So you just kind of have to keep plugging away. And sometimes you go, guys, this project just isn't working. So we're going to put it on the shelf. And, you know, that's in plenty of projects get put on the shelf. Uh, But we got lucky that this one finally crested the hill. It, It took a minute, but we got there. Yeah. Oh, now look at it. It's blown up. It's huge. People yeah. are loving it. Like, yeah. Right. Were there plans to do a second Kickstarter or? Yeah, that, all that stuff's still up in the air uh, right okay. now with the way, uh, with me leaving Skybound and us working through stuff. But like, so right now, right now there's nothing on, on the, in on the agenda at the moment. Okay. What, what are all of your job titles, right? Cause there's, we've got board game designers, producers, uh, publishers yeah well i mean i think anytime you're a you're a small business owner you typically wear the hat of all the of everything that falls under your in in whatever niche you're in right like you uh obviously i, I hire contractors and i work with people uh because there's plenty of things i'm really bad at but you, you end up still kind of wearing the hat of a little bit of everything uh, whether you want to or not you know and there's lots of cases where like oh i can't find a contractor who has bandwidth in their schedule to work on this for me. So I guess it's up to me and whether I'm good at it or not, I got to push it forward. And that's, and that's kind of the, the saga (laughs) or the, the woesome tale of, of business owners uh, in in at least small publishers. And uh, I do, I do miss having the team like they had at Skybound because you know, it was much easier to divide the work up. So that just means I just can't do as many projects. So that's why I like when people are like, on title blades, like, oh, can you do the foreteller app? And can you do this? And can you do this? And can you do this? And I'm like, I, I mean, I, I only can stretch myself so thin. And every time I say yes to something, that either it, it, it there is only a bucket that you can pour into, and at some point the water spills over the top. And so I could say yes to these things, but then it's probably going to make the project late. And if the yeah. project's late. Then you're going to yell at me because I'm late. And you're going to say, oh, you always do this. You're always late. And But it would have, like, I have to put the bumper rails up and say, this is this is what I can handle. Yeah. Um, I hear you that the Foreteller app would be dope with professional voice actors and stuff like that. But that's just another spinning plate that I have to try to manage. And it, it just doesn't make sense right now. And I think consumers, they're used to the Disney's they're used to the Amazon's they're used to these big companies that, that have every, all these resources that they can constantly spool up. And they don't, I mean, I've seen it this week uh, in the dice throne community. Like they think that Roxley and, and, and Manny and Nate can just do, Oh, why don't, why don't you have a digital app? Why don't, well, and if you get a digital app, if I own the physical copy, do I get a discount? Like, it's like you want everything, but then you don't also want to pay for it. But then also like there's, it's only like a three person team. Like it's a very yeah. small team that's pushing that project forward. And so, no, they can't, they can't fulfill every request. So, uh, and, and I, and I, it's not necessarily like I'm, this sounds like I'm harping at consumers. It's not, I'm not really upset with consumers at all. It's just, there's a big difference between a small publisher in the board gaming world, which the almost, I would argue 95% of publishers would fit small publisher justifications. Right. And, uh, and, and we're just so used to consuming from these bigger brands that have a lot more resources. You know, we're not blizzard. We don't have 3000 employees. Blizzard has right. like 3000 employees. Right. So like, <laughs> sure. They can pump you out a mobile game, 
Oh, exactly. That is really interesting. And I see it all the time and I get frustrated. It's like, you just don't realize how many things are out of your hands too. When people start getting upset about little things, it's just like, that's not, that's not their fault. Like more than likely it's not your fault. There's so many uh, chains that, you know, one link has a little bit of a nick in it and, and it falls down the line. Yeah. There's, there's, uh, you know, I really think some of it does obviously come back to people's personalities and some people are, are more empathetic than others. And I think obviously this, this spills out into way more than just board games, right. Into our politics, into the way that we treat each other every day, people at work, our relationships. So the more empathetic people are, I think when you say, Hey, I just don't have the bandwidth for that. People go, Oh yeah, well, I understand that because my bandwidth's always also maxed in my personal life. So I could, I can put myself in your shoes. I think there's some people who literally have never, their brain doesn't process that way. Like they don't have an empathetic, what's the empathetic bone in their body. They don't have that. And so like on my end, I'm not upset with them about that. Like they didn't choose. I don't think they chose to be that way. Obviously this is really dovetailing into a totally different conversation, but obviously I mean, there's just some people who are way less empathetic than others. And I think that comes through in their comments. Yeah, I, I agree. You know, we, I think both of us, I've been lucky. I've been speaking a lot about political stuff and I don't think I've lost a single follower this round, uh, which has been nice. You know, I think it shows that maybe I've catered my audience a little bit, Um, Mm, but also like I want to reach other people. I want, you know, with the show, I I think that there's kind of an obligation that if you have a platform, you should be using it to amplify voices that matter and, you know, speak about things that matter and yep. stand up for what's right. Uh, yeah, it's tough, you know, especially as a business owner, because you know, especially the way, it, it, specifically in America, how divided we are currently, you know, you're either on one of the two teams, and if yeah. you're on the other team, you are the enemy, period. There is no there's no gray area anymore. Um, and so once you identify yourself, and I, I see plenty of people who they really try to abstain from any commentary on social issues because they don't want to be painted on either team because then they lose a part of their, their audience base that's buying their games. Um, and on my end, I, I, I'm, I'm outspoken and, and what I believe is I wear it on my sleeve and it would literally kill me not to talk about the things that I, that I think need to be talked about. And so um, whether that ends up tanking my business or not, you know, I've got to ride that wave because that's just who I am. And so, um, and you know, I put my foot in my mouth plenty. Like, you know, that's the part of, uh, I was actually talking to my therapist this week and he was like, you know, you, you run at 110 miles an hour all the time. And he's like, when you mess up, you mess up at 110 miles an hour too. And I was like, you're right. (laughs) You're right. That's that, that is true. And so like, but also like it's my greatest strength is my greatest weakness. Right. So like that's that 110 miles an hour. I get a lot of stuff done. I, I make things happen that typically wouldn't get pushed through and, and, and happen. Uh, but also sometimes when you're running down the wrong path, you push the ball way down the wrong path before you realize oh, I should pump the brakes. Yeah. <laughs> Oops. I should have turned way back there. Yep. Yep. But, yeah. I get that. I, yeah. Uh, I, I enjoy that. I I've always, liked following you on Twitter and, or was I, sometimes you on Twitter, you're, you think you're following somebody because they pop up so often. Sure. So, right. That happens all the time. So I have no idea how long I've been following you, but at some point I know I started, Um, (laughs) but yeah, I, I appreciate that. Uh, And I know like, yeah, we all will lose followers or get blocked. I remember early on in my career, I got blocked or not. I mean, career, my Twitter, uh, you know, startings, I got blocked sure. by some pretty big, like people who are very outspoken leftists and I'm pretty outspoken leftist. And so I must've, maybe I didn't say it with the right nuance or something, or, or I came across wrong, you know, whatever it is, like whatever little thing, uh, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. you, you can't be perfect. Yeah. So, and with that, like, I'm also bad fit, right? There's the bad faith and good faith. And on Twitter, it is impossible to have a good faith argument. I'm learning. Like I used to give people the benefit of the doubt and be like, I'm really open to like having an actual conversation about things. You know, I grew up conservative. I, 
I still mm-hmm. have a lot of conservative friends and some family and, and I'm always happy to talk about stuff and be civil and say like, agree to disagree essentially. Um, but you know, recognizing that we'll both be passionate, but that just can't happen in this space for some reason. It, it's, it's gotten a lot tougher for sure. And, and I think some of that too is, is there's the line has blurred on what is an opinion, right? And, and people have opinions that they think, are factual. And it's like, no, I mean, there's a, there's a, there's a big difference there. Right. So like, sure. Your opinion can be that pineapple is good on pizza. (laughs) That's fine. And we can agree to disagree on that. We can't agree to disagree on what is human rights, right? Right. Like you coming through and saying this person doesn't deserve the same rights as me. That's not an opinion. I mean, I guess it technically it's, it's a, it's a position uh, and it's a bad opinion, uh, I guess, but it's a, it's a position, but it also is an opinion that harms other humans. You yeah. putting pineapple on pizza does not harm anybody. I mean, I would say it makes your pizza garbage, but <laughs> like, you know, that's up to you. You're the only one eating that, right? Like that's up, you go for it. So th- that line has blurred so much to the point, you know, I think America and the world, we've got this anti-intellectual movement, right? Where, you know, before the internet, this is crazy, right? This is crazy that the internet seems to be what's bringing down our society. Like we were at a point where we thought we're going to have the world's knowledge at our fingertips. We're going to be so smart. This is going to be amazing. And then somehow, I don't know what Al Gore did. Way to go, Al Gore. Uh, the joke, by the way. Um, it was a good one. You know, it, the, the push forward of, of, you know, before the internet, right? If you needed to know something about space or about health or, or whatever, whatever subject it is, you would go find an expert in that field and you would ask them, hey, how does a black hole work? Because I don't know. And they would tell you. And they would usually, most experts are smart enough to go, hey, we're still learning a lot about these things. So I'm going to tell you what we know now. Yeah. As science moves us forward, we may learn that everything I just told you is hot garbage, but this is what we know as it is now. But now every Tom, Chad, Karen, and Bill feel like their opinion is just as valid as an expert's and to the point that now when your confirmation bias is challenged, you try to discredit professionals and experts and people who have it so that your confirmation bias becomes stronger. And yeah. it's just turned into this murky, ugly. I mean, good Lord, we've got a guy and a governor in Florida who's now trying to pass a bill that says you have to state your political views in school. Like what? Yeah. Like <laughs> What is happening? What is happening right now? So yeah. it's um, it is super, it's super disheartening. But you know, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't have any answers. Well, I, I remember uh, seeing a research thing a little while back. Hey, and maybe this has changed, but uh, <laughs> that we have our core beliefs, and if mm-hmm. something is a core belief and it is challenged, that it will trigger the same exact response as if you were being physically threatened. The fighter cognitive dissonance. Cognitive dissonance yeah. is something we all struggle with, right? Like, yeah. Anytime one of our cornerstone core beliefs are challenged, I mean, I felt it, right? I felt it when something challenged one of the things. I'm like, that can't be right, ah. right? But I, again, I think there's there's people who can separate their emotions and go, well, wow, I don't like that. I need to look into this information and see if it's true. Because at the end of the day, if a thing that I believe in isn't based in truth. I'm believing a lie. And if I'm built one of my cornerstone beliefs on a lie, what does that say about me? Yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't want that to be true. I don't want my cornerstone beliefs to be built on lies. So I need to go put some real good faith conversations and research and exploration into that to see if that challenge is true and maybe it is. And maybe I need to adjust my cornerstone belief. And I think, but to your point, people tie that to their personality and their, their, their personal so much that they're like, well, if I'm not a Christian, then who am I? If I'm not a board gamer, then who am I? 
If I'm not a Republican, then who am I? And we've got to figure out how to get people away from that. You know, we, we're, we're, we're humans. We, we can be very complex. We do not have to be painted into these very strong bullet point um, categories to identify ourselves. We can be very fluid and move throughout lots of different things. So I just, I don't know what's going to allow people that freedom to be able to open themselves up. And, and I would say go to therapy y'all. Uh, it's, you know, it's something I've started very recently that I've said my whole life that I needed to do. I've just started it very recently and wow, we, I think we've all got stuff we need to unpack about ourselves <laughs> and yeah. having oh, yeah. somebody uh, that you can talk to who's not judging you and isn't like in a hurry. They're not looking at their phone. They're not trying to like move on. Like they're, they're genuinely listening to everything that you have to say so they can give you feedback about it. It feels pretty good. That's not something we get most these days. So, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Well, and I listeners of the show know I promote, you know, taking care of your mental health. So that's a big part of it. That's something that there was a stigma about for a long time. And I feel like we've made so much progress in like the last five or so years about normalizing, like needing help. And I love that. So I'm glad you're especially for men, right? Like I grew up in Alabama. You're supposed to be a manly man. You don't ever cry. You don't ever let anybody see you cry, boy, you know, and are you crying? You're such a little girl. You know, that, that, uh, that top, that really toxic masculinity. And I mean, it's, I mean, we still see it everywhere. We still see it. We see it online. You can see it in the way people talk to other people, uh, especially, especially from men, right? You see it a lot from men. And, um, you know, I hope this movement of taking care of your mental health keeps growing because men worldwide need therapy. And that's, there's, there's nothing that lowers your self-worth by saying, I need to go to therapy. So if you're listening to this and you're, and you're, uh, if you're any human and you think, man, maybe I need therapy, you do. We all do. Go get it. Yeah. Just I almost do look it. at it like, you know, your car checkup, right? Like Absolutely. you got to go get your car checked out, you know, oil change and whatnot. Like. Get, getting more political here of like, <laughs> like sure. mental health should be like a free service at, at the very least, like X amount of sessions a year, like sure to be able to, I mean, we can't in. say yeah. as a country with the most gun violence of any country in the world, we can't have a group of people who say it's because of mental illness that this keeps happening, but then we do absolutely nothing to help people with mental illness. Right. Cool. If if that's your gambit and you and you think it's specifically mental illness, then you should be the biggest freaking advocates for mental illness. You should be pushing through bills that get everybody free mental health. And we should be pushing people through the system to get more therapists, because if everybody started going to therapy, there'd be a real big shortage. So where are those bills? If you truly believe that that's the problem, where are the bills to help this? We've got the resources. This country has plenty of resources. Where, where, where's, where's it at? I ain't seen one bill proposed that really pushes forward a mental health uh, agenda. So I think we can all really probably figure out that that's not a good faith argument. Yeah. They're just trying to deflect and it's just like, yeah, put your money where your mouth is. Let's get this. Yeah. Let's promote this. You know, if, if that's really what you truly believe, do something. And you know what? On our end, uh, on team left or whatever, right? Like, yeah. I can almost respect it if they had put together big programs to be like, we do believe this is the problem. And we're going to get everybody in this country up to this standard of mental health services so that yeah. we can see if this actually brings in. If it worked, then... I'm okay with you being right. I'm okay yeah. <laughs> if our kids stop dying and people stop getting shot at parades. Whatever works. So obviously, you know, if you want to keep all the guns and all the crazy gun laws and and or the, the the wild wild west approach of guns, then put your money where your mouth is on some of these other things that you say. And it's not doors, and it's not more. It's not putting more guns in more people's hands. If you really think it's mental illness, let's see you put together programs that's going to tackle this. Yeah. And like, I'm sure you and I both believe that it is, if that's a problem, it's a very small portion of the problem. But if it ended up solving it, you know, significantly, 
great. Like, that's a cornerstone that I would happily part with of being like, hey, bravo, actually. And, well, even, you know, at the end of the day, way, it's a great thing. We don't have abnormally higher mental illness rates than any other country in the world. Exactly. Right. So if, if it was mental illness causing this, then we would be able to, in the data, we would see that we had an abnormally higher mental health crisis in America, but our numbers are generally about the same as these other countries. It's the guns. It's the guns. We're the only country that gives people this sort of access to guns. I've yet to hear very few of anybody who's really advocated for abolishing guns, even though you hear that cry from people, they're trying to take our guns. And it's like, Mm -hmm. no, we just don't want, we just don't want bullets being shot from an AR-15 that absolutely destroy the human body. The doctor at the scene of Highland Park this week said bodies were blown up from that AR-15. They were absolutely destroyed. The reason that we don't get to see some of the field footage is because it's horrific. The kids at Uvalde had to be identified by DNA because they were shot and blown up. Kids were blown. And I know we don't say these things because we don't, because it's horrific and we don't want to think about it. But part of us not being shown those pictures and talked about this in the way that these guns, what they do to the human body perpetuates and allows it to keep going. So at this point, I think we have, I don't, I don't, I don't ever want to see, I don't think my empathetic heart could see a picture like that and let that, I don't think I could remove that from my brain. I don't want to see that. I don't watch horror movies for the same reason. Like I don't like that stuff, but we have to start talking about it and we have to start saying bodies are blown to pieces. So anyway, we have really derailed. We're nowhere near board games at this point. Um, I know it's an important thing to talk about, but we can well, here's the thing. If you're listening to this, if you're listening to this and you, and you think we're like crazy leftist loon loons, the only thing I would, I would just challenge you is to like think rationally and logically about what we're saying. We're talking about data points, right? We're talking about if you think it's mental illness, then why aren't there Republicans putting forth strong mental illness programs to solve that. If, if they want you to keep your guns in the full wild, wild west approach, if we look at data and we say that other countries don't have, you know, we have the same uh, mental health problems on a percentage as they do. Like these are date. We're talking about data. We're not talking from emotions of we're talking from data. And now if you're on the other end of this listening, well, that data is just being twisted and manipulated to make your point. Fine. Go get me certified peer reviewed data for me to see, and I'll consider it, but you can't go get some data from some whack jobs website. Who's not peer reviewed. Just like when you were in school and you had to write your book reports, you have to cite your sources. Why? Why do we have to cite our sources? Because the credibility of the source is just as important as the point you're trying to make. And that all of that, for whatever reason, kind of looping back to that anti-intellectual conversation from earlier is where we're at, right? People, they don't, they don't even understand the concept of confirmation bias. You're, you're looking for information that confirms what you already think. That's not how science works. In fact, that's why peer reviewed is a thing, right? Because we're very prone as humans to want to confirm what we already believe to be the truth. So peer review is when people come in and they just shoot holes in everything that you've tried to put up there. Even if they don't believe it, they're like you have your, your dissertation has to stand on its own. Mm-hmm. So bring yeah. your data, but you better, you better cite your sources and you better check the credibility of your sources. I'm really grateful to one of my friends growing up would always play devil's advocate. So no matter what I said, he would be like, well, you know, like I'd be like, oh, someone backstabbed me, blah, 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 and ramble and then be like, well, did they, though, like from their viewpoint, you know, like and so he did that and I kind of caught that and I get in trouble all the time with my wife for doing that exact same thing of like question everything, look it up, try and like. You know, uh, I think especially with the t- 
with elections in general, like so mm-hmm. much misinformation is out there, especially with social media. And you got Bill the Truther mm-hmm. on BillTheTruth.com. Uh, and uh, it, like all this misinformation just gets spread around. So it's so important to verify from at least like three different reliable sources. Like I'll look and I'll see yeah. something from CNN and then I'll be like, okay, cool. Well, that's one thing where maybe I can trust it. Let me verify it on these other places and let me link to something specific they're talking about and make sure that's factual. You know, like it's just, yeah, there's a, there's a really good website. I forget the name of it, but it, it, it ranks and it shows you uh, all the different news sources and where they land on their yeah. biases. Right. And so like Axiom is one that I follow uh, because it's, it's fairly neutral. Um, and, I mean, obviously depending on who sent in the, uh, the article for them or whatever, uh, that individual probably has some sort of biases as well. And sometimes you can see that in the writing, but for the most part, the way they present the news is fairly neutral. I think it's slightly left leaning in the, um, in the overall graph, but like seeing where even CNN, if even for team lefty, right? Like CNN is an agenda based news source, right? Yeah. Like they can't be fully trusted with what they're saying because they are biased. Fox news biased. Uh, you know, they're MSNBC. They're all, but it's understanding where they fall on the spectrum is important. Right. So like if they're just a little biased one way or the other, that, okay, that's still pretty credible when they're in the extremes. That's not credible information. Yeah. <laughs> on I either side, hey, team, on either side. Oh, so I'm not, this isn't James pointing at, at one or the other on any side. If it's, if it's, on the spectrums, on the, on the outer rims, that's not good. A good place to get your information. And relating <laughs> this back to board games. <laughs> uh, that's funny. Well, this was a good conversation though. I'm glad we had it, you know, outspoken leftists here. One star. I I am. I'm happy to talk about it. The, I think obviously these sort of things are where they're more productive to have on a podcast or, or obviously yeah over a cup of coffee or a beer or, or, or a meal. Um, but we're also busy and also disconnected. It's, it's really hard. So podcasts, I think, or in videos are, are a great way to, to have these conversations where people can hear the inflection. Cause when I type something out on, um, on the internet, people, people can take that and apply an inflection of their choosing or, or maybe whatever mood they're in. Right. But they don't hear my inflection. So these yeah. podcasts, videos, that's why I prefer. Even when I have to deliver good, bad news to backers, I always try to do videos because it just comes across like you can understand why I'm telling how we got here, what the circumstances are. If I messed up, you can hear the me saying, I'm sorry I messed up. Right? Yeah. Then I can I can I can pl- I can plead to your empathetic nature if you have any, right? And be like, I'm sorry I messed this up. Here's how I plan on making it right. That sort of thing. Yeah, uh, it's just easier in this format. I really like those kind of videos where you know, I've seen you do a couple, I think, with on Twitter doing a video and explaining something or uh, like Rodney does it all the time when he's like, yes, okay, I, need I was to thinking of Rodney, too. Yeah, like, Rodney does it too. like I'll ask him, I'll type him a quick question sometimes and he'll he'll respond back with a, like a two minute video where he just said, I just want to talk to you instead of typing. And I'm like, nice. Rodney. I'm just, you're like the Mr. Rogers of board gaming. That's the well, perfect yeah. description. I always call him the, the nice guy of board gaming, but at the same time where we've been talking about politics, like he does, he's nice, but he can also be like firm and like, no, that's not okay. And stand up for what is right. Hey, Mr. Rogers was firm, oh, right? Like yeah. go back and watch where he was sitting in front of Congress and having that speech. I mean, he, he shut down many a Senator, you know, he did it in his Mr. Roger way. And I think yeah. Roddy does it in his Mr. Mr. Rodney way. Um, yeah. I'm going to start calling him Mr. Rodney. <laughs> That's so good. <laughs> somebody, all right, listeners, if somebody's good at Photoshop, please, we need Rodney's face put on Mr. Rogers body in like Mr. Rodney's neighborhood. We need that. I, I am not, I'm not it. It would look awful, uh, Same. but that'd be awesome to have. Oh, that's awesome. I hope somebody does that, please. (laughs) Tag me if you do, please. Yeah. We have talked about a lot of different things here. What what things do you like to do outside of board games? You know, uh, I'm I'm 
I've always been active. I, I like um, sports. Um, I was an athlete growing up. I enjoyed it. Uh, got a desk job for a long time. Got really, really out of shape. Got into CrossFit for a really long time, which really helped change me and get me back to being an athlete. And so now, uh, like right now, I spend a lot of time. It's, it's summertime here, so I'm taking my son. He's 13, and his friend. We go to the gym every morning. I'm teaching them like technique and like helping them get better for sports. So I love working out. I love being active. I love going on hikes, going to the beach, any of that kind of stuff that we can do. Uh, I like golf. I'm a, um, I'm I'm horrible at it, but it's fun to just because it's a it's a sport that I'm think I'm going to be able to play even as I get old. You know, like I can't go play basketball anymore. I get beat up. I'm I'm hurt for like two weeks. Uh, so like golf's a sport that I enjoy, uh, you just swing the stick and hit the ball. seems like yeah. it'd be easy. You can ride a cart to the ball. Even you don't even have to walk to it. Yep. And, and books, I really like books. I like, uh, exploring other worlds and seeing what other creators are coming up with. And, you know, books are a great way for that. Uh, I don't read as much as I wish I did. Uh, but yeah, those are, those are kind of my big ones. Nice. All right. So are you fictional? Is that the type? The oh, I love high fantasy. Give me all the okay. give me all the Brandon Sanderson. Oh, uh, you know, love love all of that kind of stuff. Uh, I, growing up, when I was younger, I was really into Dean Koontz, and I read some of his. He's got some really weird and out there books uh, that I thought were just great at the time. Um, now, now, you know, I like a more of a Brandon Sanderson approach where there's really a lot of world building. Red Rising, you know, uh, uh, Jamie, when he put out the game, I was like, Red Rising, let me check this out. And read that book and then went down that hole. So, yeah. That's awesome. I always love hearing Brandon Sanderson because it's like, I'm in Utah. So it's like, yes, Utah, Utah, getting some big, uh, big ups there. Well, that's awesome. I, we could keep talking for like an hour more. <laughs> You're easy to talk. I'm, I'm really chatty. So it's not hard to keep me talking. Yeah, <laughs> and we barely talked about board games. So, but uh, let's do ridiculous theme. So we both come up with a ridiculous theme for a board game. Uh, did you think of one while we were chatting? You know, I like again this weird stuff. Trying to slam weird stuff together. So, like you know, I don't know, space pirates mixed with something weird. You know, I don't know. I'd, I'd have to really think about it, but. Um, it's hard for me to think about silly and weird because I, I really try to think more like tidal blades where I'm like, where, where can we build a world that people are going to really be into, uh, that doesn't already have a lot of traffic in it, you know? Yeah. Um, so that's kind of how we, I say we, the Cuddingtons, uh, came up with tidal blades, but what, what was yours? Oh, I had a couple as we were talking, and I now I don't remember any of them because they were before <laughs> our political talk. <laughs> nice. But good faith, bad faith, you could have just a game that sort of generalizes that of like, mm. maybe you're trying, you all have like your core beliefs and you're just playing cards to try and change somebody's mm-hmm. core belief or mm-hmm. challenge core beliefs and and but but that's also like kind of a sad game too because it's like well do sure. you lose if your core belief changes because in real life you don't lose if that changes right but, yeah well actually think about that like maybe a game about a utopia post scarcity right so that we're just playing in a world where we're completely separated from the troubles that we have here so that we can just enjoy like what would that system look like and what would the mechanics of that be because then at that point like capitalism has been removed. Right. And we're just yeah. doing what's best for humanity as opposed to trying to make a buck. Oh, there we go. See, that could work. Could. Yeah. Well, perfect. I know you got to go really soon here. So why don't you go ahead and plug your stuff? Sure. So, you know, I think if you follow, if you, whatever your choice of social media, I'm probably on it either as Druid city games or James Hudson in some form or fashion. So you can find me on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok. I do all those. I got a, there's a discord. There's a Druid city games discord that I started uh, last week. So, um, and I, and I think that allows it to be a bit more intimate. So I would, I'm, I'm definitely pushing people to that because, you know, I can post something on Facebook, but they may not show it to you. Whereas if I post something in discord and you go to the discord channel, you're going to see it. So um, I'm pushing people that direction. I've got a YouTube channel where I'm doing my videos. Um, that's pretty sporadic just because that's more as life allows me. 
Um, and then you can always just go follow me on Kickstarter. As of right now, I still use Kickstarter. We'll see what the future holds there. But right now, I've also got Bloodstone up on a preview page where people can go follow that to be alerted when it uh, launches at whatever point I get that thing ready in the future. I'll provide links to a lot of that in the episode description, like the Discord server. I can just put a link in the episode cool. description. You can go and click on that and join in now. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you, James, for taking the time and hanging out with me and chatting. That was a lot of fun. We got super off topic, but that's okay. It was a blast. And thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the show, you can go to iTunes, rate, review it. That would help the show get seen more and just show appreciation. I love doing the show. I would do it if I didn't have any listeners because it's just so awesome to get to chat to all these amazing people in the community, but it also feels good to get a little recognition. You can also interact with me on Twitter at RildNerd. You can email me, the board game community show at gmail.com. I would love to hear from you. I love interacting with people. Tell me what games you've been playing. Just feel free to chat with me. I'm a chill person. If you're interested in actual play podcasts, I do one where I am the BM, aka Bunker Master, for a TCRPG based on the TCRPG of the Borderlands universe. It is so much fun. It's mostly comedy. There's a little drama in there, some action, but it's definitely more adult. So if that ain't your cup of tea, don't worry about it. As with every guest, you can go to the episode description and I will have links to their social media uh, or anything necessarily relevant to what we talked about. So go check the episode description for those links. If you want to see my beautiful face, then at the end of the month, the last Thursday of the month, I'm usually doing a show with the board game captain and board game grand. And we usually have a guest. It is called Board Game Insight. And it's on the Board Game Captain's channel. So you can check that out, chat with us live, or watch it after the fact. I sometimes also play games with Mr. Rao Gaming, Ryan Rao, and have an awesome time doing that. So you can go check out those videos. And that is it. Until next time, keep nerding out. After I joined Skybound, we had this game called Pitchstorm. And it's personally my favorite party game that we made at Skybound. And we were at Dice Tower East and it was just coming out. And Pitchstorm is an improv game. You're, you're making movie scripts, ridiculous movie scripts that are being pitched to Hollywood executives. So somebody, the judges are the Hollywood executives and they have some cards in their hand. And then the teams are, they're split up. So you, rather you might get the plot and I would get a character. And usually there's two, these two things don't match, right? So it's like uh, a down on her luck waitress from New Jersey is sent back in time to save dinosaurs, whatever. Right. So now this is our movie plot and we're pitching it. And then the um, movie executives have these cards where they're like, let me stop you. Cause you've only got 60 seconds to pitch me your movie. Cause we're busy, but let me stop you. Could this be animated? And then you're like, you just have to work in their crazy asks. And so we were sitting around. It's just, it's after hours after the convention hall closed, we're sitting around with a bunch of industry people and, and designers and we're we're playing this game and like two and a half hours later we've played this for like and people like my face is hurting from laughing and smiling so much and it's just ridiculous fun and, and you know what sometimes you 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 want those things to happen but they kind of naturally just have to happen for those moments to really like organically happen and that was just one that like it'll always stick with me that you know, and that game's not super popular. We didn't sell a bajillion copies of it or anything like that. But it is a very special game for the right group that can just turn into hours of laughing. So, a fond memory of board gaming by James Hudson. 